When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna What is up, Bills Mafia? 7.30 on the dot, coming to you with the latest episode of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast, brought to you, as always, by Tops Friendly Markets. And, you know, are you ready for Slider Sunday? That's the best question that we have to start this episode. Bills, Bengals, Sunday night football. Every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and much more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. Head over to topsfriendlymarkets.com for more details. Ryan, I feel like I just just saw that smiling face, and it looked a little bit different. Back in regular clothes to talk about a couple regular uh, Bills topics, but a a lot to get into today. Yeah, no doubt about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot to take out of today's press conferences. Uh, Big football game this weekend, so where do you want to start? Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe dip our toes into the Cincinnati Bengals waters here in a few. And hello to everybody joining us uh, in the YouTube chat uh, over on Facebook. Hit that like button if you're on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the channel as well. <clears throat> I want to start with Josh Allen because, you know, week six, we're, we're heading into week nine now. Week six was when he injured that shoulder in the Giants game. Uh, Kyle Allen came in for a couple plays quickly and then, the picture that I put in the uh, as the as the image of this episode is him kind of flying out of the tent to get back onto the field, and that's kind of how he's built. Like you know, he doesn't want to miss any plays. He definitely doesn't want to miss any practices, which is where we have to start tonight because he did not practice today. After Sean McDermott said he was going to be limited, he wasn't out there. Uh, he did speak after practice, and we got a chance to hear from him and get the inside scoop on the plan of attack with that injured shoulder. It's still something that he's uh, monitoring. It's something that he's, he's kind of have to, has to deal with. It's a, it's a nagging kind of injury. He said that um, they put a plan together, him and athletic trainer, Nate Bresky uh, to have him sit out of practice today, not have to put any stress on the arm. He's going to get, if you think about it, Thursday to Thursday, a full week off on that elbow unless, or on that shoulder, excuse me, unless he's thrown off to the side, but, what he said basically was he wants to limit how many times he's throwing to try to put that shoulder in the best place for Sunday. He's expecting to, to practice tomorrow. 
Yeah. And again, it's, it's kind of like maintenance. You know, you want to make sure that you're not overworking it, especially when there's that general soreness. Uh, he's just trying to make sure he gets right. And, and the good news was he said that he doesn't expect this to linger much longer. My only concern for that is we've now seen him take off and run with the ball a few games, get tripped up, get knocked down, <laughs> land right on that throwing shoulder. You see him kind of wince in pain, and it feels like the cycle repeats itself. Uh, there's no right answer for how to deal with this. You don't want him obviously sitting out any games. He doesn't plan on sitting out any games, but uh, this is just something where the Bills are kind of playing it smart right now, keeping him out of practice. This is a player that knows everything about the playbook, obviously, has all the talent in the world to come in on Sunday and pick up uh, the game plan without missing a beat. So hopefully by, you know, with this plan that they've come up with by Sunday, the shoulder feels good. And, and it's just something that the Bills can kind of put in the, uh, you know, put out to pasture, so to speak. I thought it was interesting too. Somebody made this point on Twitter and I, uh, I've seen a bunch of mentions today, so I didn't get too far into the weeds with it. Um, or I, I can't get too far into the weeds with it because I don't remember it, but uh, it was a good point. And I, and I included in my story as like a, um, a piece of this Josh Allen storyline midweek in that he had to stand on the sideline. I asked him about his process and how it's affected. And he said, it's not affected too much. He's still doing all the film work. He's going through the mental reps on the sideline, but who's in there at QB one running with the first team, Kyle Allen, you know, that's a valuable couple of a, a day's worth of looks for a guy who hasn't had any real practice time since the beginning of the season. And if Josh Allen were to have to miss any, any time, uh, a stretch in a game, any amount of games, and obviously this shoulder issue, it seems to be something that he's going to move past here pretty quick based on what he said today, but it's not a bad idea to have Kyle Allen get a day of practice where he gets to kind of go in, run the offense, you know, kind of refresh uh, after a very busy summer for him. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a lot <laughs> this summer about the struggles that he had at practice during training camp, during the preseason, uh, the the limited reps. So this is an opportunity for him to get more under his belt, to feel more comfortable in the system. No one wants to see him in a live game action, obviously, uh, but it's good to get those reps in case you know it ever happens, in case the Bills need him out there for a meaningful drive, for a meaningful few plays. If Allen's in the tent, it takes a little bit longer. Uh, it's not a situation you want to be in, but it's a situation you want to be prepared for. Uh, let's switch gears here. Uh, we got a chance to open up with Brandon Bean today. We haven't heard from him since the season started, and he kind of took us into the the mindset of trying to acquire a player. And, and, and he said a couple things about the trade deadline. Number one, it wasn't just defense. Of course, obviously, the, the the guys that they're missing, Daquan Jones, Matt Milano, Trey White, made those positions positions of interest. But he said that if they could have added an offensive player, they were looking there too. Somebody to bring in and help them with the scoring, uh, you know, scoring more points because that's what it's really all about. And without some of those superstars on defense, you kind of almost think about putting a more of an emphasis on, okay, we got to score points. We're going to have to out-duel teams that we play and there's a lot of really good offenses on the second half of the schedule we've talked a lot about it uh so i thought that it was interesting that he brought that up unprovoked um he wasn't asked a question about that he brought up the fact that they were looking at offense to nothing materialized with the cornerback trade though started a couple weeks ago 
They were looking at the market and he said, I asked him about the Jalen Johnson report and how uh, our, our friend Jordan Schultz said that uh, they made an aggressive attempt. And he said, he didn't want to get into specific players, but it was a wide ranging scope of players when it comes to talent level. So he looked at all of the elite guys and, you know, read between the lines, probably Johnson, Patrick Sertain from, De- from Denver, you know, maybe uh, at that next level, Rasul Douglas, uh, who they end up trading for, and then even guys like at, at a lower level than than Douglas, and they they wind up at this deal, and it was a deal. Ryan, the Packers did not want to make when Brandon Bean first reached out to them last week. It took some conversation, some coercing a little bit, uh, and at the end of the day, they made it work and got the compensation right and all that. And, and that's the big <clears> thing is they you know they were going around looking at all the cornerbacks that were available, and like you said, there were probably other names: Dory uh, Dory Jackson. Uh, Dante Jackson, a lot of players out there, but the Bills found a good fit, someone that plays a lot of zone defense in Rasul Douglas, someone that uh, has that leadership perspective that you're looking for, and, and someone who's under contract uh, for next season as well. So there's a lot of reasons that you really like this deal. Uh, as for what he said about the offensive side of the ball, you know, it, it just seemed like there weren't really a lot of uh, sellers when it came to offensive players at the trade deadline. Man, I can think of Donovan Peoples-Jones was traded. Uh, I can't think of many other offensive wide receivers or players off the top of my head uh, that were moved at the deadline. So no one really wanted to give up anyone of great value on that side of the ball. So it's okay that the Bills did not pursue anyone on that side. But, you know, I thought that cornerback was their biggest and and most pressing need. And they ended up getting a a player that, you know, you saw a lot of media members in Green Bay talk about. I'm, I'm surprised that Green Bay would move on from Douglas because of what he means to this locker room. There was a player today in the locker room who was interviewed uh, who said he was pretty much heartbroken about the deal. So the Bills are getting a really good player, a really good leader. Uh, I'm excited to see what this looks like once he gets into the fold and once he gets comfortable with this system. Larry and Scott checking in on Facebook. Hi to both of you. We always want to show a little love to our Facebook crew. We appreciate you uh, tuning in across all three platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe as well. Always. Yeah, you bring up a good point about the leadership part of this thing. I thought it was interesting how much, you know, the players on the Green Bay side of things really took issue with this. And, you know, it's always tough. Like you're sitting there two and five. You've gone through eight weeks of the season. Now you got a full half of the season to go. And when you lose that kind of piece, as bad as that offense specifically has struggled, you know, it's it's got to be a tough pill to swallow. That was a piece of this thing for for adding. um Douglas to the mix, but I thought it was interesting that Brandon B was not shy about mentioning what really drew him to Douglas. And that was the ability to take the ball away yeah. and playing instinctively uh, as a player. Douglas spent all of practice today when he was out there during the open media portion, standing with Sean McDermott, chatting it up, probably trying to get a head start on what this looks like. And, you know, we, we I put out a, a call for questions uh, from our shout Buffalo bills insiders, earlier today and a couple of, uh, of them responded with some good ones. And I thought one of them that was good. I'm, uh, I'm not sure I have it right off the jump. I don't know their name. Apologies. I'll, I'll, I'll shout it out next time was about like the potential playing time for Douglas on Sunday, because effectively Ryan, he's going to get a padded practice tomorrow, a light practice on Friday, two or three days to really dive into this playbook. And it's going to be all right, ready, set, go on Sunday. What are our thoughts on how much he could potentially play against a Bengals team where it's all hands on deck? I mean, this is a, an offense that's 
operating at a level coming off this last game. They put up one of the best performances of the season offensively against a really good defense. I know San Francisco hasn't been the same defense that they've been in years past. They went out and they traded for Chase Young. Secondary has some issues, but it's still a really good defense. They ran the ball against them. They threw it around the yard. Joe Burrow looked electric. You know, this is a tough game on tap. Oh, a really <laughs> tough game. The Bengals are firing in all cylinders. So can you get Rasul Douglas out there? Yes. I think it's going to be a very limited pitch count though because of the familiarity with the system i'm sure there are going to be some plays we talked about this yesterday that uh when the bills kind of go over it he'll say okay this is what you know very similar to whatever they called it <laughs> so maybe there's going to be enough on his plate that he can pick up enough of the playbook and uh come out there on sunday and play in a limited role but you're right it's all hands on deck you want your best players out there rasul douglas is immediately one of your best cornerbacks, you know, your top cornerback, in my opinion, the way he's been playing this year, the way that he's able to go after the ball, create those turnovers, something this uh, cornerback room has been lacking this season. So you want him out there for games like this, games like Cincinnati, games like Dallas and Philly and KC. So it starts now, and if you can get him out there, uh, even on a limited basis, it would be a big move for the Bills. Yeah, it was Brian in the insider group that asked, how long do you think it will take uh, Rasul Douglas to get acclimated. And I thought that was an interesting question because it's, it's not just about Sunday. Of course, is the immediacy of this really important game, but how long does it maybe take him to get comfortable in this defense? And I think a couple things are at play here. Number one, he's a veteran that's already been in three different schemes. This is going to be his fourth. He started in Philadelphia, played a year in Carolina, and then spent the last three where he really took off with the Green Bay Packers. Luckily, it's similar from the sense of the schemes, how they how they set drew things up, how they asked their cornerbacks to play off the ball. He comes in with that ability right off the jump. It's really helpful to have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer back there. And then when Taylor Rapp comes in the game and they want to go with some more of this dime look, which they've been kind of experimenting with the last couple of weeks. You have a, a, a veteran laden group that I feel like Douglas can lean on. Yeah, and listen, I mean, that's one of the things that Packers fans said is, He's really aggressive towards the ball, but you also need some good safety play. Well, the Bills are pretty; they have to feel pretty confident with the guys they have in that safety room and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, who <laughs> played his best two games of the season the last two weeks. Taylor Rapp for depth, and the list goes on. So I'm sure the Bills, you know, that was something else that they kept in mind. But the communication is going to be there, too, from those leaders, from those veterans. So I think that there is a role for him on Sunday Night Football. Uh, I think getting in today, letting him kind of dive into the playbook over these next few days, get him some time on on the field, even if it's through in a walkthrough setting or whatever it is leading up to the game, uh, is going to benefit him in terms of getting him on the field where the Bills are going to need a player like that against a Joe, you know, Joe Burrow-led offense that what uh, was picking apart the 49ers defense last week. And shout out to Richard Perks over in the uh, Shout Insider group who's taking full advantage of the Perks of being a Shout Insider. Uh, he is the one that uh, popped my eye with the, the original question. What kind of snap share do you expect Rasul Douglas to have? And Ryan, I think it's, I, I, I don't know. Could you see a 50-50 share with one of the starters, whether it be Dane Jackson or Kyer Elam? Do you see him potentially playing a whole game? How do you feel this ends up? materializing with how much he plays in the game. Yeah. Uh, sorry about the old girl, Gracie here. She wants up on the couch and it's uh, blocked right. off right now. She obviously so, wants Russell Douglas to play. Yeah, she wants a ton Russell of snaps. Douglas to play quite a few snaps on Sunday, but I, I don't know about a 50, 50 snap share with Dane Jackson or Christian Benford. I, I still think it's gonna be a little bit lower than that on Sunday. 
Uh, but at the same time, even if it's 30%, even if it's, you know, the 25, 30%, it's going to help this team. There are going to be scenarios in which you can get him out there. That's going to benefit the Buffalo Bills defense uh, going after going forward after this game. Then you're going to see that target share go up significantly. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, uh, it's hard to predict, predict because I, he hasn't practiced yet. Right. So I think it's going to come down to a comfort level. They may not really even know until game day. And it also might be game specific type situation. Like you're going with Dane and, and Christian Benford. Maybe somebody gets hurt in that game and you got to turn things over to uh, Douglas or maybe have Douglas and Josh Norman active for this game uh, and kind of weigh what you want to lean on the veteran who is a little bit older, maybe not as athletic, uh, but knows what you know his responsibilities are, has been in the system even this year a little bit longer here now a couple of weeks or a, a brand new guy that has played a lot of ball in this league, but it's just a little bit different. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I want to pivot quickly. You know, we've spent so much time on this podcast over the last six to eight months talking about Kyer Elam. And I thought today we got a really good glimpse into how the Bills view him, where he's at. He obviously did not get traded. And Larry over on uh, Facebook, perfect timing. What's the future for Kyer Elam now? I think that's where the conversation has to go next, Ryan, because I was... Interested to see what Brandon was going to say today because he's been so bullish on Elam going back to even after he was kind of benched for Benford. He even said going into the season that they were still confident. It's a it's an injury uh, next man up kind of league and there'll be opportunities and so on and so forth. And there have been. But we also got a, a better understanding today from being what has been going on with, with Elam in terms of the injury. Now he has popped up on the injury report multiple times this year. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Sean McDermott mentioned in the, whatever the game he first played, the giants or the Jags, I can't remember which one would have been the Jags. He re injured, re aggravated an ankle injury that he said he suffered in training camp. So since training camp, remember when he was having that hot streak and we were writing about him every day, had a couple of really good games battling to get days battling Stefan Diggs, suffers the ankle injury. Benford kind of laps him. He's trying to work his way back. And it's gotten so bad, Ryan, that Brandon Bean said today they're contemplating putting him on injured reserve to try to get that ankle back to 100%. That's a big piece to the puzzle that maybe we didn't know we weren't operating with over the past couple of weeks. And it, it feels similar to Greg Rousseau last year when, you know, we were critical of his play down the stretch. And then we learned after the fact, oh, well, he was dealing with a pretty significant high ankle sprain. Yeah. Listen, ankle injuries, especially with a cornerback, are, are never anything to mess with. And we have been told a few times that he's been dealing with an ankle injury. I know that. Uh, he didn't have a designation last week, so it felt like a healthy scratch when they played Josh Norman over him. But if this is something serious enough where the Bills are thinking about shutting him down for that four-week window, um, th then maybe that's what's right for him, for this team, especially after getting Rasul Douglas, having a little bit extra depth now where you can move Dane Jackson down to cornerback three on the outside. Uh, technically, having some confidence in Josh Norman, having some guys in the practice squad you like too. And not to mention Cam Lewis, who can play inside, outside, Saran Neal, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think that if you want to get what's the best version of Kyrie Elam, you got to let him get back to 100%. That doesn't necessarily mean IR if he's inactive the next few weeks, if you're not, if you're keeping him out the practice field. 
maybe it's a two week thing, maybe it's a three week thing, and he and he's feeling uh, like himself in that scenario. So whatever the case may be, the Bills should monitor this, let him get back to what he feels is a hundred percent, no matter how long that takes, and then let allow him to get back in the mix. Because you're right, there were a few really good training camp practices for Kyrie Elam. Uh, you want him to come out and be confident the next time he sees the field, whether it's a practice field, whether it's live game action. And if you're hampered by an ankle injury, you're never going to have uh, a full, you know, your full confidence because you know that you're not at 100% physically. Yeah. And the tone to me felt like this story isn't over yet. And I tweeted after the last game because Josh Norman gets the call up and obviously the injury kind of shines a different light on this. And I'm willing to take a couple steps back from the take, but it's like, it's hard to see Elam if he's a healthy scratch for Josh Norman being in the mix long-term. But to me, this changes things from the perspective that he wasn't a healthy scratch. Obviously he's been dealing with this injury and it's been something that maybe even played into early season um, scratches, but it, it is at the same time kind of confusing because I, Sean McDermott didn't really emphasize this. And I feel like sometimes they, 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 they go into more details on certain players. I know a question we keep getting a lot is Daquan Jones and Matt Milano. Like, What's the, what does all this look like moving forward? And it's like, we don't know. I mean, Sean McDermott's been asked about it multiple times. Brandon Bean was asked about it today. He said there is no definitive update on either of them outside of the fact that they're both back in the building and they're rehabbing. And I don't know what the, (laughs) maybe you have a better idea of this than I do, but um, I don't get the, like the potential benefits of hiding the progress, right? Like if it, if it's like, okay, maybe you don't want it to get out there Matt Milano might come back because it feels like your team might be like, oh, well, help is on the way. Maybe you don't want to, you know, put that out there and, and have that vibe in the locker room. Maybe you want this, like, you know, it's, it's, it's only us, you know, it's, we're not getting any help. Maybe that's the ideology, but the bills have been very hush hush about the progress of both of these guys. And really, we don't even know the, de- the details of the Milano injury to this day. And, and, you know, your rationale, your idea there makes sense, but you can't tell me that the teammates aren't talking to Matt Milano and Daquan right. Jones. Hey, how's it going? How's rehab? How you feeling? You know, what's a, what's a timeline? It, it just feels like it, it's being kept secretive for no good reason at all. I know you don't want to get your fan base's hopes up and say, you know, we're pinpointing or we're, we're hoping we'd have them back by the end of the season because it might not happen. But at the same time, uh, some realistic – or better timelines, I think, would be good for the fan base, be good for the media, uh, just be good all around because, you know, it, you're not just going to all of a sudden surprise anyone and be like, hey, he's on the practice field today. Well, that's all well and good, but there's going to be a ramp-up period for these injuries where they're, where they're doing some kind of work, uh, where they're being brought back, where there's a little activation window. So I, I don't understand the the secretive nature of this. Maybe the Bills truly don't have a timeline, a set timeline right now, and things are up in the air uh, because maybe it's so early on in the rehab progress, especially when it comes to Matt Milano. We, you know, we really don't know everything that went on with that specific injury. So it, it's a little bit maddening. I understand from the fan base, we get a ton of questions about it. Do you think they're going to come back? What's the latest? We don't know. The bills aren't saying much. Uh, this is also not an organization that leaks much information out there either. Um, if you want some information, you need to sign up to become a shout Buffalo bills insider 716-528-6727. We are lighting up the text line, uh, every day 
uh, with takes, information, reporting, all the good stuff. Uh, 716-528-6727. Two-week free trial to start, $3.99 a month after that. And the shout text line is brought to you by Kerry C. Buyer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give him a call at 716-852-1234. Check out LitroLaw.com. Uh, we're going to get to defensive tackle because I sp- specifically asked uh, Brandon Bean about that uh, this morning. Uh, we have a couple questions coming in on the um, text line. We'll get to that in a second. Bills, Bengals, where are you at going into this game with your expectations? And obviously, we'll get to the preview show. We'll get a little bit more into the weeds with the matchup. Viewing the Bills going into this game, knowing the history with this team from last season, where these two teams are at going into this, do you feel like there there should be a level of confidence for the Bills or a level of concern? I would lean toward concern. I know you you never want to give a, a team too much credit based on a small sample size, but the Bengals were the superior team in the in the matchup last year in the playoffs. A very, very small sample size in that regular season game, so I kind of throw that out the window, but they did move the ball very successfully there too. Uh, offensively, Joe Burrow, the, the calf is no longer an issue as we've seen. He has a great wide receiver, uh, you know, top three at that position. Joe Mixon is running well. And then on the other side of the ball, that defense, uh, you know, if uh, their defensive coordinator is not a head coach at this time next year, Something is very wrong in this league because of the way that he dials things up, the way that he can confuse opposing quarterbacks. Uh, he, he made Brock Purdy look like Mr. Irrelevant last week with the way that uh, this Bengals defense played. So I just think that right now on both sides of the ball, this team is playing so well. You're going back to Cincinnati. A lot happened there last year, obviously. Uh, so if you're asking me right now, I, I just feel like there's more to be concerned about if you're the Bills than there is to go in and be feeling positive about. To me, the number one key in this game is the first quarter, the tone that's set in this game, because the last two games, and I know they didn't play a full game in Cincinnati last year, but it felt like the bills were on their heels from the very start of the game. And talking to Sean McDermott today, he mentioned, you know, the importance of starting fast in games against teams like this, that, you know, our lead on both sides of the ball, you mentioned that defense, they get pressure on the edge. They get pressure on the interior. They have two linebackers in Pratt and Wilson that just absolutely fly around the field. And the secondary isn't necessarily great, but they have a great player in Mike Hilton who makes tons of plays and is a huge kind of hiccup in the way that Lou Anarumo, who you mentioned, mm-hmm. how he uses him. So I'm with you that I think this is a concerning game because what are the Bills going to be offensively in this game? Are they going to be a team that goes in and aggressively looks to attack and lean into some of this, some of the answers maybe that they found last week against the Buccaneers? Are they going to try to go up-tempo? Are they going to try to mix it up with you know running play action? Like I thought last week, Brock Purdy looked the best and, and he did out throw for over 300 yards. It wasn't a complete dud of a game, but I thought he looked really good when he was running some play action. So I wonder if Ken Dorsey doesn't adjust a little bit and maybe lean into that a little bit more. And I think the one saving grace for the bills is they're in the middle of this pivot to 11. 
a lot of the tape that Cincinnati is going to be watching over the last couple of months is them leaning into this 12 personnel package that never really seemed to get off the ground. So maybe you're getting them at a time where trying to figure out how to contain Dalton Kincaid is going to be an issue, but I think they have to have the foot, the foot on the gas pedal pushed all the way down and they have to go after them on both sides of the ball. The biggest difference in that game last week that I watched between the San Francisco 49ers and the Bengals, the Bengals didn't turn the ball over. And when Joe Burrow gave the 49ers chances to turn the ball over, they couldn't hang on to the ball. And I asked Jordan Poyer about that today. And I said, how important are those moments? He's like, it's critical. It's critical in a game like this where the difference at the end, even if you play near perfect game, it could be that one mistake, that, especially on the road against an elite team that you make that costs you. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, Jordan Poyer had two interceptable passes last week that he didn't come up with. And he said, those are plays I need to make. So it's exactly like you said. If Joe Burrow throws an interceptable pass, if he fumbles, if Joe Mixon fumbles, the Bills need to, to pounce on that. They need to create the turnovers. That's what's one of the things that has not been happening since all these injuries have taken their toll on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, early on in the season, the Bills were really good at getting those turnovers, creating the turnovers, but it has not happened since they've lost Daquan Jones and Matt Milano, Trey White, etc. So you hope with Russell <laughs> the secondary – you hope that with this defensive line, uh, whether they shore it up by elevating an Ilianku from the practice squad or just go with the guys that they have, uh, main, playing more dime with Jordan Poyer is like a hybrid linebacker type safety, whatever it is, you hope that you have your best personnel out there for when they're going against this Bengals offense because, like I said, they're running the ball well. Uh, the escapability of Burrow was really on display in that 49ers game. There were a few plays where – it looked like the 49ers had him dead to rights in the backfield with pressure. Uh, and he was able to escape not just one guy getting their hands on him, but two. So the Bills have to be sure tacklers. That's been an issue for them as well. Offensively, I think this is an, uh, an up-tempo type of game where they need to keep the Bengals in their, you know, keep their players on the field, make sure that they're tired, make sure that they're winded in these drives. If you're going that uh, slow, methodical route, you're allowing changes to be taken place by that defense. You're allowing them to dial up some, some pressures that maybe they otherwise would not be able to do. So there's a lot of uh, things pointing toward the Bills staying up-tempo in this matchup. The great talking point, Matt, on the 12 personnel, a lot of the tape on that. Now that Dawson Knox is out, even if you get Quentin Morris back, you're going to be leaning to this 11 personnel, which they ran last week. Uh, you still don't know maybe how to account for Khalil Shakir. Was that just a one-game Small sample size. Is he going to be a big factor in this offense? Will Gabe Davis continue to get the ball in short passing game, allowing him to get the yards after catch? And then obviously Dalton Kincaid uh, looking the part of a tight end number one the past two weeks. So there are a lot of new wrinkles uh, that we've seen recently and new talent like Kincaid that the Bengals didn't have to worry about last year. It's just up to Ken Dorsey to kind of put it all together on offense. A uh, question from Dan in the Shout Insider text line. Um, 24 hours later, now that you've deep dived, uh, into the trade, are you as high on or more high on the Rasul Douglas trade than you were when it was made? Obviously I gave it an a minus. That's part one of the question. The other one, um, is on Leonard Fournette. We'll get to that in a moment. I got to keep reminding myself as does Matt, our good friend, Matt Beauvais from channel seven. It's not Leonard Floyd. I, I keep wanting to say Leonard Floyd every time, but it's Leonard Fournette. Um, 
I'm about the same. You know, I, I, I think the first thing that's so important about a deal like this is they needed to do something at this position going forward past this deadline without adding a player that you can say is potentially an upgrade. I just think leaves you open to the risk of not only going into the future with these two guys as your main corners, but if one of them gets hurt, you're in just an absolutely tough spot. And now knowing the injury situation with Kyrie Elam, Josh Norman could be thrown into a, a massive role. You probably don't want that. And that's nothing to say against Josh Norman. I bet you he came out and he was electric the other day on special teams. Like there might be some juice there. Maybe if he, were, he had a play in a spot, he might be all right. And I know that he played, I can't remember if it was last season or the year before and kind of like an extended role in San Francisco. It wasn't that bad. Like I watched a couple of those games. He, he, he was still playing at a decently high level, what you expect out of him. I thought he had a fine run in Buffalo before. I just think at that age, more prone for injuries. And it's just a big ass to play a hundred percent of the snaps at that spot at 35 years old. And Jamarcus Ingram, obviously really high on him, but that's a huge spot to put a UDFA in their second season. Um, what are your thoughts on that trade now that we've had time to digest it? I, I like it even a little bit more than I did at the time because of what's coming out of Green Bay from the media, from his teammates, from what how you saw that he was kind of uh, meeting with players post game, trying to figure out what's been going wrong with the defense, how to get it back on track. Today it was Keyshawn Nixon. Uh, he said that the Packers lost somebody who stabilized the locker room. And he said, I was really lost for words. I understand it's a business, but I'm still sick to my stomach, honestly. For a player to come out after that trade, to come out and say those types of things about uh, now a former teammate, just kind of shows you what Rasul Douglas meant, not just on the field, but off the field. So uh, I think that the Bills really did kind of zero in on someone that fits their culture, fits their scheme but is also playing some of the best football of his career right now at 28 years old. As Brandon Bean mentioned a few times here, the light bulb kind of came on for Douglas when he joined the Green Bay Packers, and it takes time sometimes. The Bills are getting someone that's this is playing at this high level now at cornerback, and it's something they were really lacking since Trey White went down. And I know Trey White has not been the Trey White of old since he had his injury a few years back, but he was still a more stabilizing presence than what they've had in Christian Benford and Dane Jackson, who have held up just fine. Josh Norman, like you mentioned, 2021 with the 49ers, he was fine. Last year with the Carolina Panthers, he didn't play nearly as much. Uh, you needed not just depth. You needed that that cornerback number one type of talent to, to help this defense, especially late in December, in January, when the games might be a playoff setting, might be for a playoff seating, might be to get into the playoffs. And the Bills did that by adding Douglas to this roster. Uh, the other question, which is a good one, when do you think Leonard Fournette hits the active roster? And you know, I was having, having this conversation on the sideline of practice today with a couple other uh, media folks. And I'm wondering, like, what is the timeline here? Like, I don't know if there's a super rush. Like, he's coming off the couch. He looks like he's in really good shape. Uh, he uh, really, uh, I can't say that, but it, people will take it to the wrong way. But a very um, confident decision to go out there in the middle of winter and basically wearing the short shorts, like the cutoff uh, uniform pants, the jersey. He had no layers underneath in the cold. He even admitted at the end of his uh, interview afterwards that it maybe was uh, a bad decision by the end. He was probably regretting it a little bit. It was cold out there today. Uh, but then again, I'm a, I'm a super wuss when it comes to uh, the weather. 
Um, I think you could slow play this. Now, there's people that think um, on the beat that this could be as early as this weekend getting a chance to get a, a first look at Leonard Fournette. And I don't know if you need to rush it. Um, he's got to learn the playbook. I don't think that's going to be overly complicated. He's been in the league a long time. They could put him in in, in certain situations. Um, but I don't think there's a, the, a rush to it. And I think you want the mileage is there. The carries are there. Coming into the league, there were a lot of carries, if you remember, for Fournette. Um, but I think that you really want him at his peak in late December. And so I'm okay with still playing if you want. But I think we can see him in the next couple of uh, games, too. Yeah, I'd be surprised if it happened as early as this weekend. Never say never, but it's not something that's on my radar because of the learning the playbook just getting here. He was on his couch recently. It's not that the Bills are depleted at running back either. Uh, obviously, still have James Cook, who's healthy. They have Latavius Murray, and I know Murray uh, did not run well last week. <laughs> if he continues to struggle, that might be what leads to Fournette getting elevated or maybe even getting signed to this 53-man roster at some point. Uh, so they have Ty Johnson. They have other guys available. So I, I'm not in a rush to get him out there either. Get him acclimated to the playbook. Uh, then he can be this guy that can work for those tough yards for you, like he did last year in Tampa Bay, the way that they utilized him. And you can also use him, though, as a pass catcher because he is very underrated in that regard. And it adds another wrinkle to this offense when he's on the field. He's not just someone that's going to try to be a bruising between the tackles back, which uh, like I said, last year I thought he did a fairly good job of that. You look at the yards per carry, you might not think so, but I thought last year he did a fine job there. Uh, but I, I like his all-around game still at this point in terms of being able to sign someone of this caliber to your practice squad at this point in the season. Um, next up, uh, we have a question here from Jeff over on the Insider text. Uh, could the Wyatt Teller trade be uh, the reason – they kept Elam at the deadline. He's only in his second year. Also, uh, Douglas was a late bloomer, uh, which is a good point. Brandon Bean talked about that today uh, at the podium. It's interesting. I, I do think that the Bills are wary, and, sh- and Brandon Bean has talked many times about the lessons he learned from the Wyatt Teller situation and that he still kind of kicks himself over that trade. This seems to be a little bit different because they've had a much – larger sample size on Elam than they did of Teller only from the senses he was getting first team reps in training camp both years. Like Teller was like on the third team at one point uh, in training camp, uh, didn't play a ton his rookie season, uh, played more towards the end. Um, and then they, they added a bunch of pieces. So it's a little bit of a different situation, but the idea there I think is interesting because what if you trade Kyer Elam and he turns into what they were hoping when they drafted him? Yeah, that's always in the back of your mind. I don't think that the whole Wyatt Teller deal is the reason why they didn't trade him. I think that they know that it's a long season. They know that injuries can happen. They still do believe in him. They they know that he's still trying to get, I don't want to say acclimated to this new scheme, but they, they probably knew this was going to be a process to get him used to a zone defense where that was not his forte at Florida in college. So, there was a lot of factors that I'm sure went into this decision for Buffalo. The teller, though, obviously sticks around in Brandon Bean's mind that you don't want to lose a player of that caliber two times where they go on and they do great things elsewhere uh, after you've invested in them. And Teller was a completely different uh, type of pick, a day three type of player where Elon was obviously a first rounder. 
but I just think that at the end of the day, if one, if you're not shopping him and you're not getting a phone call that blows you away, there's no reason to move him at this point in time. You still have him on a very team-friendly rookie contract. You don't know, you know, you've, we've already mentioned multiple players. It takes multiple years, sometimes three years before the light bulb goes on. So the Bills can play this out, so to speak, and really get a good idea of what he where he is at with this defense, where he is at confidence-wise uh, over the next year or so. And, you know, if, if they eventually do trade him or have to cut ties with him, so be it. But there was there was a good reason for holding on to him at this time. Our good buddy uh, Nate Castle uh, chimes in with uh, the defensive tackle question. And um, we got a bunch of variations of the defensive tackle situation, and we're going to get into it now. The question was, do you think not trading for a defensive tackle or a linebacker is a sign of the Bills' confidence in Milano and or Jones returning this season? Um, obviously, we've talked about defensive tackle quite a bit uh, the last couple of episodes, specifically yesterday's. So I went in today and I asked Brandon Bean, how do you feel about the defensive tackle situation right now with Daquan's um, injury, uh, maybe even adding in that spot post-trade deadline? And he said, yeah, looking at that hardcore. Yeah. Definitely discussed that with some teams the last couple of weeks as well. So they're obviously in the trade market potentially for a defensive tackle as well. Nothing's final, but definitely been working on some stuff. There's one big name out there, Ryan, that everybody has kind of been zeroed in on. And it's interesting because there's been a lot of negative feedback to, uh, on the insider chat um, about Indomitong Sue just from his history, like obviously the stepping on quarterbacks and the dirty player vibes. Um, I feel like a lot of that's been put to bed and, and I think as he's grown up in the league, there hasn't been as much of that. And, you know, he's won Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Uh, he's somebody that uh, I think at this stage is, is kind of like a hired gun on a defensive line, even at 36 years old, that you can bring in and have him play uh, meaningful, but not excessive amounts of snaps. And to me, this, this, that comment from Brandon Bean read to me, like, okay, maybe in Kong Sue is on the way. Yeah, and listen, everyone hates the idea of a player like that until they're on your team. <laughs> Don't forget that uh, the Bills had two different stints with the Richie Incognito on their offensive line, and he was a fan favorite when he was here in Buffalo. And he was kind of like an offensive version of Sue. Played a little bit dirty, didn't mind uh, <laughs> you know, getting into it with other teams, uh, players, and, and pushing, shoving, you name it. If they're on your team, you love them. If you're, if they're not, you, you kind of despise them at times. So I think, though, that like you said, Sue is is at a different point in his career now. Uh, he's he's a player that is well liked on teams when he wherever he has been. Last year in Philly, for example, uh, he's someone that would help. I know he's older, but he is still someone that could help uh, up there in the middle of this defensive line until DeQuan Jones can come back. There's other guys out there too. There's Linval Joseph, for instance. Uh, I was going through a whole list of names. There's actually a lot more veteran names than you would expect out there on the market right now that could realistically uh, come in here and fill in that role, whether they start on the practice squad or start out on a 53-man roster, whatever it is. There are options out there. We know they like Ilianku, though, and I know fans are like, oh, come on with Ilianku. He played really well at times last season when he when he had to play for this defensive line. He was really good. Uh, shoring up the run, and, and in terms of the gap integrity, they obviously saw a good amount of 
uh, improvement from Puna Ford from game one to game two. They have some guys there. I don't think it's a necessity to go out and get a veteran, but there are a lot of quote-unquote names available uh, among veteran defensive tackles. Yeah, and I think the thing for me with Ilyanku is the the years that he spent in Buffalo. I mean, 2021, uh, spent some time, uh, I, I believe, in 2022. If you go through his his team history, it's insane. Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Cleveland Browns, Indianapolis Colts, Texans, uh, Cowboys, Falcons, Bills, Falcons, Steelers, Titans, Falcons, Bills. The dude is just, he's been around the block, man. Like he's, he's played a lot of, uh, he's played, he's been in a lot of schemes. He's a pretty smart player. There's a reason teams keep bringing him back. I mean, the Falcons brought him back. The Texans brought him back. The Bills keep bringing him back. So I feel like he's the kind of guy that if he's the fifth on your depth chart, you feel really good about if you have to ask him to play to your point. Uh, but we'll see how how it goes. And I think that I'm not closing the door on Tim Settle and Puna Ford yet this season, figuring out some a higher level of play consistently. Uh, I think for Ford, it might come later in the season if he can stay healthy. And then Tim Settle, you know, it hasn't really worked yet, but I saw signs of it. Did, am I alone here in the Bucks game where there was a few snaps where you're like, Man, if he could do that on a on a more consistent basis, maybe you'll have something there. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, same with Puna Ford. There were plays early on where they gave up some some uh, yardage on the inside, or they gave up, they got pushed around a little bit. But later in the game, I thought they were both playing pretty good football. They were pushing some guys back, moving guys around, making plays up front. So it's about consistency, and we we've had talks like this about Ed Oliver over the years, and I don't expect either of them play to that level obviously but sometimes that's just what it is it's it's getting more reps out there getting more comfortable so that way you can play at a more consistent level where there's more good than bad uh, there's always more good than bad at tops friendly markets and you can start your slider sunday winning streak with king's hawaiian this football season and earn rewards to redeem for free product brand swag tailgating gear and more uh, visit slidersunday.com for details then Visit the Tops Deli section and look for the bright orange King's Hawaiians display to scan the QR for a chance to instantly win. Then visit topsmarkets.com slash slider Sunday and get all the best slider Sunday recipes. All right. Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We got one more this week before the big one. Bills versus Bengals. We're going to preview it. That'll be out on Friday. I'm going to link up with a Bengals reporter, give you the view from the other side. It's all going to be in one big episode. We'll make our prediction. We'll have some fun. For Ryan, I'm Matt. We'll see you then. Take care, everybody.